I have a few streams running through my mind tonight that I thought I would see what would happen, what will happen. I was having a conversation with my daughter, my nine-year-old daughter, Molly, yesterday, and she reminded me that everyone is related. She said there was... There was, it started with a man and a woman who uh, somehow made a baby, and that baby made other babies, and then those babies made more babies, and the fact that we're all here is just a, a reminder that we're all related, that we are part of a, she didn't put it this way, part of a interwoven net of connection. It's not one of us uh, exists truly independently apart from all the myriad of causes and conditions that led us to be here. And that our notions of uh, separate individuality, although uh, having a relative truth has no ultimate truth since everything is uh, bound by that law of interbeing of interdependence. Another another aspect of that, of interbeing, is that uh, as an individual affected by conditions of all sorts, uh, we are not in control. Anybody reflect on that? To me, one of the great things about Sangha is we can remind ourselves. Sangha meaning community, coming together in this way. is It's time to remember the things that need to be remembered and, and reconnect with our, that deeper sense of ourselves. Um, but the, uh, a great reminder of, of the connection that I feel when I sit with all of you is that uh, I have no idea what will happen because everyone here is bringing a different, uh, bringing something to this party. And it's, it is my great hope or joy or, or um, longing for everyone to uh, discover your, deeper, your deepest nature, to to remember the possibility of letting go, of, of realizing that you are, as this is an overused expression, but you are the miracle that you've been looking for. Uh, I, that is my wish, that everyone would get that and, and stop uh, straying so far from our, from, our, um, from our hearts and walking around like hungry ghosts with little mouths and huge stomachs and with the insatiable appetite and obsession with getting and uh, becoming and, uh, and really come home. And that's my hope of Sangha. But when we come together, some moments, some nights, we have our minds are quiet. Some nights, our minds are busy. Have you noticed it's not in control? I have no idea how anyone here is going to show up. I have no idea what, whether this will go easy. I have no idea what will come through my own mind. 
So it's a, to me, sitting quietly, just living a life is a constant reminder of insecurity, of vulnerability, of uncertainty. And that is not something that, um, that we're in the habit of embracing. I had a, I'll get back to Sangha in a few moments, but over the last weekend, I had every great intention to travel to the uh, prairies of Saskatchewan to lead a retreat. And I got up at 3 in the morning to get to the airport, get my flight, managed to... I organized it in my mind that I would get here in such and such a time and be there and things would work out the way I want them to. And I did, in fact, arrive at the airport on time, got on my flight, flew to Denver, just casually walked to my next gate, a few-hour layover. And when I got to the gate, it said, your flight has been canceled. There's a major winter storm in Saskatchewan. You're... You're reschedule, you can be rescheduled. First, they didn't tell me anything. Go, go to customer service. By that time, customer service, as I'm sure most of you have seen before, sometimes has lines around the block. But I managed to get somebody on the phone and scheduled a flight for 8 that evening. So this was now 8 in the morning. So I scheduled for 8 in the evening. Woe is me. So I started meandering around the airport uh, and realized after making a few contacts with the people up in Saskatchewan that it was uh, it is likely that the next flight would be canceled too because this storm was meant to be two or three days long. First time in 20 years that they've had to cancel a retreat. So they canceled the retreat. People had flown in from other parts of Canada. and uh, In fact, a friend of mine had in Chicago or in the Chicago area had planned to go to the retreat. But, uh, fortunately, she couldn't at the at the last moment. But there I was in the airport and with a bit of a challenge of what to do and when to go. And my whole, everything that I had done to organize my life had been just turned upside down. Now, this is a very, this is really small stuff. But I felt so disoriented, so accustomed to thinking things are organized. And sometimes it takes being thrown a little curveball. Hopefully not too big a curveball, but sometimes that's what it takes to be reminded that um, we just don't know. And that the secret to, to well-being, the secret to peace, is not to arrange everything to go just right. It just doesn't work, no matter how well you arrange. And to me, Sangha is about that reminder, that we live in a sea of insecurity. Actually, because I was thinking about this, I dug out a couple poems. This is from Dana Falls, entitled Allow. This is what Sangha is about, is about reminding us that freedom is not making sure that we fastidiously do everything perfectly, but it's learning to let go, learning to allow. There is no controlling life. Try corralling a lightning bolt, containing a tornado. Darn a stream and it will create a new channel. 
Resist and the tide will sweep you off your feet. Allow and grace will carry you to higher ground. The only safety lies in letting it all in. The wild and the weak, fear, fantasies, failures, and success. When loss rips off the doors of the heart, or sadness veils your vision with despair, practice becomes simply bearing the truth. In the choice to let go of your knowing way of being, the whole world is revealed to your new eyes. Or as Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche puts it, the bad news is that you're falling through the air. Nothing to hang on to. No parachute. The good news, there's no ground. And finally, just while we're on this topic, Helen Keller. Security is mostly a superstition. It does not exist in nature, nor do children as a whole experience it. Avoiding danger is no safer in the long run than outright exposure. Life is either a daring adventure or nothing. So just to fill in a few pieces of the story, I, uh, I did eventually get home at 7 in the evening on Friday evening, came back here rescheduled the retreat for the first weekend of December. But in the process of meandering through the airport, trying to get my bearings, at times feeling like I was experiencing a lost day. Have you ever had that feeling, a lost day? It it was a great reminder to to live my life uh, with intention, with purpose, and to to not waste, I remember, uh, not waste a moment if I can. I remember reading a, a obituary from one of my teachers, one of my Tibetan teachers, Tulku Ergen Rinpoche, who eulogized his wife when she died by saying she never wasted a single moment. And the way my first, my first attempt to navigate this day, it felt like I was wasting a day. But then I, when I remembered, which is what I try to remember on Tuesday night and what I hope you remember, is that... Uh, that it's not so much what's happening, it's how I'm relating to what's happening. And I was framing this as a lost day, and when I framed it as a lost day, I felt really depressed, sad, something wrong. But when I saw it as a moment to wake up, smell the the roses, smell the airport, (laughs) it was no big deal. I saw the, the, I saw the, joy in people's faces. I saw the fear. I saw the rushing. I saw those who were taking their time. I saw the, the frenzy of life. I, I felt like I was part of this sea of interconnectedness. And it was simply a switch of my mind. And then it became a rather delightful day and then the potential for a, a weekend at home. But it, there was some navigating there. It's not all, it, always, it doesn't always come with perfect wisdom at first. It often comes through our conditioning that something's wrong. Something's wrong with me. Anybody ever have that one? So that was, a, um, that was my day in the airport.
So being able to crawl back into the the womb of sangha, of community, uh, is a um, to me a great blessing, because I can I can easily wander around in the world just caught up in the in the view that I have to have something to be happy. I have to. I have to become someone to be happy, when in fact the opposite is true. The true happiness is in in letting go, letting be, in in being as I am. Uh, It's not in in what I accomplish. So when I say it's important to live a a life of intention, uh, if if there's anything that I want to accomplish... That's worthy of accomplishing is the is the um, the cessation the cessation of trying to get somewhere in time. One of my my friend Hanuman, who I speak a lot of here, or I've mentioned a lot, so we speak almost uh, weekly on Tuesday evenings. We've gotten into a little ritual and we shoot the breeze about Dharma. And he used to lead. A community. He used to travel around and lead groups and hang out with people. And one night he saw someone in the in the crowd uh, listening to his words and writing everything down very um, intently, every single word. And and he noticed that the person was using a pencil and with an eraser on the end. And he called out to the person. He says, "I think you should uh, you should be using the other end of the the other end of the pencil. This is about erasing. It's not about accumulating. It's not about becoming. It's about denuding, opening, letting go, letting go of the need to know what's next, entering into that stream of insecurity. That's really." Full, rich, amazing. Tibetans have the word emaho, how amazing. When we don't know, when we, when we step out of the known. I was sharing with somebody last week the words of, of Yogi Berra, or maybe it was in here, was it this group? Where he said, it's, it's not what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. So it's hard for us to step out of the world of what we know for sure. And even the Dharma, the teachings that are so beautiful and wonderful to to play with, they can become another veil, another lens that we see through instead of a a pointer to discover the the awakened life of the present moment, the, the awakened nature of our own hearts. And so we, what we do in our practice is we erase. We erase, as one of my favorite teachers, Nisargadatta, says, we brush the dust of memory until the clear mirror of our mind is laid bare. We don't, we don't try to add more knowledge. There's enough to go around already. We do it only to the extent that it gives us the inspiration to truly let go, to enter that stream of the unknown with, with joy, without fear.
So speaking of erasing, it's very often uh, that probably the most commonly heard uh, expression that I hear from new meditators and often old meditators. Andy, you can testify to this. Not you, but someone we were speaking about. There's a, a common view or common comment, I'll say, is I can't turn off my mind. Any of you ever have that thought? I can't turn off my mind. Thank you. She's writing. <laughs> you don't have an eraser on the other end, do you? Okay. Then you can keep writing. <laughs> it's fine. But I get this comment a lot. Uh, I can't stop my mind. So when I say erase, when I say empty, it doesn't mean to quiet your mind. It means to widen your mind. It means to know your mind. It means to know that you don't know what's next, that you can only know what's happening right now. That you don't, you don't, the whole purpose of meditation is not to quiet our mind. And if you try to quiet your mind, if you use meditation to quiet your mind, that usually means that you're bothered by your mind. And as long as you're bothered by your thinking mind, it will continue to torment you mercilessly. So the point is not so much to stop our mind or to erase our mind, but it is to work on our relationship to our mind, is to stop being bothered by it. And the whole methodology of practice is teaching us how to meet our mind in a way that is non-contentious, non-aversive, non-judgmental, neither feeding our thoughts nor suppressing them or rejecting them or quieting them. And lo and behold, if we are not bothered by our thoughts, if we can meet them with openness, know our mind, instead of try to stop our mind, if we can know our mind, our, our thinking mind has the nature to arise and pass away. It quiets by itself. So our whole practice is a, around relinquishing of control, relinquishing of that demand that things be the way we want them to be. It's really about knowing. Please. <laughs> Not <laughs> The question was, can we control another person's mind? <laughs> Say more about that. <laughs> now, why would you want to control another person's mind? Unless you're bothered by it. As long as you're bothered by it, it will control you. So we... So you can see the thrust of all this. It's really all about, and to me, a sangha gathering, a gathering of community, is all about learning how to, how to uh, be in harmony with things the way they are. It doesn't mean that we don't try in every way to live a good life, to live well, to love well, to cultivate the things that we know lead our onward leading toward a happier life. But the central the central practice that we do is a practice of letting go. 
that the true liberation of the heart comes from non-preferences, from non-clinging, from non-condemning. And that is the that is the promise of mindful attention. It's the function of mindful attention to tease, to take out of our uh, react, to take the aversion and the grasping out of our um, attention to whatever's happening. Because it's not what's going on. It's not that airport that was the cause of my suffering. It wasn't that storm. It was, it was the aversion to the situation. It was the view that I was carrying that this is a this is a drag and a lost day. It was just a day. Now I'm not suggesting that you try to get uh, try to try to get lost in Denver International Airport, but but try to work with your own life situation in the same way. Please, Shana. If I don't cling very closely to my intentions of what I want to happen, if I let things go, then my brain will be. This the idea. This isn't about. This isn't about not doing your chores or doing your work. For that, you need to keep your. You need to stay on task. She says there's a certain amount of clinging that goes with getting anything accomplished. I actually think the clinging to get things accomplished just makes it into suffering. I think just getting things accomplished with a a kind of freedom uh, makes things go more easily. So So what I think needs to be attended to, not only whatever it is that you need to get done, but you also need to pay attention to that clinging. Pay attention to your relationship to doing the work. There may be a lot of resistance. There may be a lot of uh, self-judgment. There may be a lot of, of doubt. Uh, and those, those mental states that lead to a kind of clinging, that lead to a kind of uh, difficulty at doing the work, they probably need a lot of attention. And you need, if, any, if anything needs to be let go, it's the, uh, the grip of some of those uh, habits of mind. But we don't need to delete them. We simply need to know them. Please, Madison. She's not sure she's averse to the thinking. Thinking she she's thinking she's actually charmed by the thinking. And then she's horrified that she can't get the peace in the meditation. Again, the meditation, thank you for saying that, because often uh, what people want with the meditation is they want peace with the meditation, which is just another way of saying I want my thoughts to quiet down. And in any case, whenever we want peace in the meditation, even though it's a natural thing to want, it, it usually means that we don't like however it is. And... The wanting of peace, even though it seems completely natural, if we practice with the desire for peace, there's usually greed in the mind. That's a kind of grasping. And that actually causes our mind to be more active. Uh, So I think it's a good thing to pay attention to, noticing that impulse to want to be peaceful, Noticing, noticing how that operates, noticing whether it makes you 
create, bring, create a kind of tension in your effort. Or if you can simply uh, notice your thinking mind and notice your, the way that you're charmed by it. All of that, if you keep the noticing active, you won't be feeding the, char- you won't be feeding the clinging. I didn't realize this would be a meditation discussion, but any other comments about anything I've said up to this point, please? Well, has that been has has that been successful? Yes, usually over time and money. Yes. So all our practice invites us to do is pay attention to all of that and to be really honest about the the fruit, what our actions are, what are the fruits of our actions, what the engines are that are driving our actions. And I think that if you see what you're describing, I'm really thrilled to hear what you're saying because it tells me that you're actually attending to your experience enough that you can learn from it. Because I also believe that if we really are attentive to our, our habits and that the engines that drive them, the ones that actually lead to more distress or lead to more insecurity, they, they will, you will slowly let them go. You'll drop them when you see that they, they leave a residue of suffering, of insecurity. And that's really the promise of our practice, to discover for ourselves what's true, not to adopt a, a new view. Yes, being an, an idiot in the airport to, to customer service people uh, causes suffering. We wouldn't we, and be good because that's a, it's the wrong thing to do. That won't stop us from being a, a jerk in the airport. But if we really see this, feel the suffering of it. If we really see, if we're really sensitive to the impact, then that becomes our guru. That becomes our teacher. We have within us an incredible intelligence an intuition about what works and what doesn't. So I'd rather not just give you my whole philosophy on life, uh, but just appreciate that you're discovering
for yourself what actually helps. Sometimes it gets you a free flight. <laughs> I I am definitely just to just to validate that I I do very um, very intently advocate for for my needs at airports. And I, and I do try to monitor because I've, those who've sat with me know that I, that my advocacy can sometimes lead into aggression and, um, and impatience and all of that. And so I really do try to monitor, uh, my, the, the quality of my requests and remember that I catch more flies with honey and try to have it be sincere and not just, uh, pretense to get what I want. But first things first, really, if I find my, if I have my bearings, if I have my sense of well-being, my sense of wholeness, if I remember that I don't need anything to be happy, that I think I shared the quote last week from Nisargadatta, said, all search for happiness is misery and leads to more misery. The only happiness worth that name is the natural happiness of conscious being. If I've already got a sense of conscious being, I already know that I'm home, then whether or not things work out the way I want them, it won't determine whether I'm happy or not. If I really know that through and through, and that's, again, another thing that we remind ourselves every Tuesday. Happiness doesn't depend on conditions. And as long as you're is you're dependent on conditions for your happiness, you are, you're, you are in a state of, of, of increasing insecurity. We don't hear that other than in wisdom teachings, dharma teachings. We're, all, we're continually taught, I have to have more. I have, we're continually taught to be like Spence in that, in that one caption that's in the advertising that I've read many times, Spence, who put a, t- a new twist on an old philosophy, to be one with everything, you have to have one with everything. One of everything, I'm sorry. To be one with everything, you have to have one of everything. That's the way our mind works. I have to be on time. I have to, get, have, to have enough money. I have to have this. I have to have that. This is the, the cultural delusion. This is the human tendency uh, that, uh, that more is better. And it has kept us on a flywheel, on a on a complete gerbil wheel. We have we have uh, hamsters in our house, a hamster wheel of, and I cannot believe our hamsters when they wake up in the evening every night they do the same thing. They they go around and around that wheel, but we're no different. We are absolutely no different. And but the Dharma teaches us not to um, not to get on that wheel, to step off of that wheel. And so if I've stepped off of that wheel before I walk up to the counter, then I'm, I'll get along much better with the customer service agents. Anyone else? Please. You just want enough. 
Well, you've got to you've got to you've got to go out and get enough. We have to do whatever we, it takes to have enough. It's our spiritual practice to to do what it takes to get enough. The problem is our mind tends to sometimes not know what is enough. Hang on one second. Um, so if if the if the big issue of your life is having enough and paying rent, that's really where the, the focus has to be to a certain degree. As if you can't spiritualize it away. You can't meditate it away. It still doesn't, that still doesn't pay our bills. So it, sometimes the center of our spiritual practice is to take care of business. It's not very, it's, it's not very, I don't say that very elegantly, but it's, but for, to deal with our situation, to deal with people, we need to learn how to connect with people. We need to be trained to, to be able to earn enough money, or we need to be able to work on how to get along, whatever it is. For that, we need all kinds of skills. But to be happy, to be whole, and easy to talk about and, may, and much more challenging when we don't have enough food on the table, but to, to really find our true heart, we don't need anything. We just have to remember, we have to just not, uh, not go away from mindful attention, not go away from ourselves. So we don't want to collapse that teaching of not going away from ourselves and then have it, have us, uh, have it, have an assumed meaning that we don't, uh, then as long as I don't leave myself, then I'll be happy even if I don't have any food on the table. We gotta have food. Please. is to take care of, is to help take care. One of the principles of community and Sangha is that we, is that we provide each other support. And that's it is, it is. It's an important thing to be paying attention to. And I assume, and maybe all of you come for different reasons, but to me, that's what coming on Tuesday night is all about, is providing that kind of reminder and support that we tend to uh, lose track of in the busyness of our lives. Thank you. Please. Windmills in our mind.
comfortable with intellectual pursuits. Yeah, it sounds like you need to get your mind in your body. Period. You need to, you know, not to be glib about that. And I really want to take in what you're saying, but just the, just everything you're saying tells me that you're that you delight in thinking about things, and in reflecting on things, and that's a wonderful capacity. And you should, and I think it's important to continue to take delight in that. But to the degree that it keeps you from from having from being engaged, embodied, uh, functioning in a very active, spontaneous, um, in full way, then it, usually that means that we've gotten a, you've gotten a little bit disembodied. And I, I don't mean to cut you off, but we could, uh, we could go on with that. Um, maybe come up after, we'll talk a little bit more about it, but... But I think your own insight just into what your own tendencies are, again, practice is all about knowing your mind, knowing what, you, what your tendencies are, and then using your own intuition to find out what would actually bring balance to your life. And it sounds like where the action is for you is how to act and not just to, to think. So good luck. So we have come to the end of our evening, and I appreciate everyone uh, listening to my sob story and and uh, spending a little time reflecting with me about sangha, about insecurity, about how we're all related, um, and just want to leave you with the words of Rumi, so that you don't forget this in the midst of it all that. And something that you can realize every Tuesday, but hopefully you realize all day long, wherever you are, that out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing, there's a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other doesn't make any sense. So let's just hang out a little bit out beyond the ideas of right doing and wrong doing. Just let it sink in for a few moments. And from the deepest part of our hearts that knows that we don't exist apart from each other. From that deep place we set our intention to share the blessings of our life, the blessings of our practice, any goodness, any benefits from what we do in terms of our practice, that we share them with with all beings everywhere. And from that place of quiet, we generate a deep wish that all beings can have happiness in their lives and the causes of happiness increasing. And that all beings can be free of suffering and the causes of suffering decreasing. 
that all beings can recognize the sacred happiness that is without sorrow, free of sorrow, here and now. And a deep wish that all beings can grow in serenity, non-reactivity, equanimity, able to meet the joys and the sorrows, the missed airplanes, the days of not knowing where our next meal is coming from, existential angst, all the joys and sorrows that we're able to meet them with balance, poise, and a deep wish that our practice today and every day, our work, our life, can be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all. May all beings find a sense of freedom. Thank you. A couple little announcements. Another reminder that I have a day long on December 8th at Spirit Rock. Introduction to Insight Meditation. Come one, come all, bring all your friends. And then in the on December 15th, I think it's the 15th, December 15th, uh, we will be having a half-day retreat here in San Francisco at the Mindful Care Center or Institute. Are there, there are flyers in the back for the half-day retreat? Love to see everyone. This will also, for those who've been participating, it'll mark the end of the 100-day retreat but it will be for it'll be a free for all for all the city people, and uh, we'll sit together, walk. It's a fun thing to do. Have a little sustained practice in the city, so please come. And a reminder again of our our the way we operate here is all in the spirit of Donna of generosity, and the room is freely offered. But it depends on your generosity to support our room rental, which is one hundred and fifty dollars a week. We have a all kinds of ways of offering that, cash in the basket, uh, checks made out to the church can be tax deductible, St. John the Evangelist Episcopal Church, uh, and Mission Dharma on the memo line, PayPal, all kinds of things. Also, the teachings are offered in the spirit of Donna freely, and but my being able to do this and whoever takes a seat being able to do it uh, depends on your generosity. So the basket... The two baskets are open for teacher or room rental, Donna, and really appreciate your extending yourself in generosity so that we can keep doing this. Thanks in advance, and thanks for being here. And please be mindful. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.